Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of God. God. Well, good morning again, family of God. It is a joy to be in this house because it's warm (laughs) and because you're here. It was good to walk in this morning. And uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Good to walk in this morning and not have to grab, grab hot hands, but I might, I might need a, a, a napkin or something for my forehead. We'll see, which is that's a, that's a, it's a good problem to have. Friends, we have a psalm here that is a powerful testimony of the goodness of our God. I've entitled this psalm, or this sermon, the many faces of God's salvation. And we can see that in this psalm. Much like the psalm that Pastor John Mark preached last week, this is an acrostic poem, which means each of the verses in our psalm, in the original language of Hebrew, start with a sequential letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So the psalmist is enumerating the many ways that God saves from A to Z. God is a God who saves. So we see many faces in God's salvation. But I want to give you the climax to begin, which is that there may be many faces of God's salvation, 
But that's because there is one face of God's salvation. And he has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God who saves. His name, Yeshua, means the God of salvation, the God who gives salvation. He is our salvation. And the psalmist, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, can enumerate 22 ways that God saves. But we, as the people of God, all those who have trusted in Christ, have an infinite number of ways that God has saved. Since you woke up this morning, God has saved you countless times. Some, some of the ways you knew and many of the ways you had no idea. You made it here. You're breathing. You can blink. You can go to the restroom. There's so many accidents that could have happened on the highway and God got you through all of those to make it safely to the parking lots. You didn't have to wake up this morning. And not only those physical things, but if you're in Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. You have a destiny, an eternity that can never be taken from you. You have riches and glory that are far beyond anything this world could possibly give you. That's part of the many faces of God's salvation that are yours because of the one face of salvation is Jesus Christ. For all those that are in Christ, every single verse of this psalm is a story. And we share this story. So if I were to fly from here to the Dominican Republic or from here to Afghanistan or from here to Nepal and I meet people who are in Christ, we have the same story. We have the same message. You know what the message is? I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and rejoice. We have the same story. Why? Because how great is our salvation. I, I, I hope that you leave today with at least 22 ways to praise. I hope you leave with many more. But let's talk about a few of them. What are the faces of God's salvation? Well, for those who are in Christ, God delivers his people from fears. He delivers his people from trouble. There's a few verses here that make this point. Look at verse 4 with me. It's printed in your bulletin. If you don't have your bulletin, you can use your phone. If you have your phone, you can use the Bible in front of you. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Is that your testimony today? Look at verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Jump down to verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now I want to talk about these verses. Let's talk briefly about fears. Some of you know about fear. There's a lot of people here who are here to watch a baptism. I don't know your story. But I bet you know something about fear. Our world is characterized and even motivated by fear. We fear what we don't know and we fear what we do know. We fear what we don't know. I mean, every insurance commercial on TV capitalizes on this fear. Mayhem is just a...
the corner. Mayhem is looking for you. Mayhem wants to run into your car for the fun of it. Chaos lurks around every turn. But it's not just insurance companies that capitalize on this fear that we, we don't know. Fear of the unknown will cause you to avoid eye contact in the hallway of your school or your workplace. Fear of the unknown will cause you to stop driving down certain streets to avoid a difficult interaction. Fear of the unknown will cause you to project certain attitudes on individuals or on groups of people. Fear of the unknown might cause you to shoot an innocent man running through your neighborhood. The fear of the unknown can be paralyzing and it can be mobilizing. It runs deep, deep into our past, both individual and collective, deep into our memories, deep into our histories. The fear of the unknown can be dangerous. It can isolate, it can divide, it can dehumanize. So we can fear what we don't know. We can also fear what we do know. We may know the pain of losing someone close to us. And that makes us grip those we love maybe tighter than we should. We may know the bruises of what we thought was love. So we close our hearts to any and all kinds of affection. We may know the damage done by war or racism or hate, and we fight it with everything we have. It's fear. It can make us forget God, make us dehumanize other people. So that's fears. We all, have, we all have fears. But verses 6 and 17 also talk about trouble. What about trouble? Fear can be an attitude or it can be an actual threat and trouble is a difficulty or a problem. How many of y'all got problems? We all got problems. Financial problems, relational problems, school problems, work problems, problems we caused, problems we didn't cause and we didn't want, but they were delegated to us. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a problem? Look at your other neighbor and say, you probably have problems. If there's one thing we see in this psalm, it's that even God's people are not immune to problems. In almost every single verse in this psalm, God's people are crying out because they have problems. They have fears. They have troubles. They have afflictions. God is rescuing, which means somebody was in bondage. God is delivering, which means somebody needed to be saved. God is redeeming. Somebody needed to be brought back. God's people are not immune to trouble. Life comes at everybody. But the difference is how God's people respond and who God's people respond to. Check out the pattern that we see in these three verses, verses 4, 6, and 17. First, God's people seek the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. Verse 6, this poor man cried. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help. The difference is in how God's people respond and who they respond to. What God's people do with fears, what God's people do with troubles is they take them to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. They seek the Lord and they don't stop. They keep seeking him. 
Now, this past week at the house, we had our nightly Bible reading. And we finished uh, some of our Advent stuff, and we started just walking through the Gospel of Luke. And this week, we came to uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And I've been trying to think, you got a one-year-old and a five-year-old, and you're thinking, man, how in the world can I read this and have them sit still? And the answer is, you can't. It's not going to happen. So we tried to start doing some active things with our kids to help them kind of get the word. So we role-played this passage. And this passage is Jesus telling a parable about a man who came to his friend's house looking for some loaves of bread in the middle of the night. He had a friend who had showed up to his house, and he was like, i got to give this guy something to eat. We didn't have any food on hand. So he went to his neighbor's house, and he knocked on the door. The guy said, so he knocked again. He said, what's up, man? He said, hey, I need some food, man. I need three loaves of bread. And we're role-playing this in the house. I have Joshua leave the bedroom and I'm knocking on the door. And he's like, open the door. Dad, can I come in yet? No, you can't come in. I didn't tell you to come in. I didn't tell you you can come in. You stay out there and keep knocking. So he kept knocking. I said, yes. He said, I want some bread. I need three loaves of bread. Hey, I'm tired. I'm already in bed. The floor is dirty. I already washed my feet. I don't want to get out of bed. I need three loaves of bread. Yeah, I'm trying to go to sleep. My kids are in bed. You're going to wake them up. You don't know what it's like to wake up a one-year-old. You don't know about that. You don't know about that. I need some bread. And finally, I was like, man, Josh, come in, man. Get your bread, dude, and leave, man. And he was like, I was like, so, 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 so how did you get that bread? What made, you give, what made me give you that bread? You know what he said? He said, I kept knocking. I said, exactly. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. And the verse goes on to say, Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, what? Receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Then Jesus said something really incredible for me telling my son. He said, what father among you? If his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, we'll give him a serpent. And what what father among you, if he asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? I said, well, am I going to do that to you? And my son said, no. I said, well, how much more? How much? Those are the three words to dwell on. How much more does your heavenly father delight, delight to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He just waiting for you to come to him and to ask him, to commune with him, to fellowship with him, to give you what you need. He knows what you need before you even ask. He knows everything. He says, I want you to come and ask. The difference is how God's people respond and who they respond to. God's people seek the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. Listen, when you talk to older people or or saints who have been through some trials, you get some stories about wives who cried out for decades for God to get a hold of their alcoholic husbands. And today the husbands are walking with Jesus. When you talk to some old saints who have been through some things, you hear about mamas and dads and grandparents who spent years on their knees praying for a child or a grandchild to get turned around and God did it. Some of you can testify in this room about prejudiced families who finally saw a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law when that grandchild was born. 
God used a child to open the eyes of the blind. See, God's people cry out to the Lord. And what does God do in every verse? He answered me. The Lord heard him. The Lord hears. He really does, friends. He really does hear you. He actually knows what we need before we ask, but he wants us to come to ask him for help. And in step three is in every verse, God delivered me from all my fears. He saved him out of all his troubles, delivers him out of all their troubles. It is good that the God of steadfast love and faithfulness is also the God of omnipotent power who can accomplish all that he wants to. He is able to deliver us from any fear we could have or any trouble or any problem we could have. And we know this because of Jesus Christ. The one fear, the one trouble that permeates all of humanity is the fear of death. My time's going to be up. We don't know when it's coming. It's unknown. Even if it is known, it's still scary. And sin makes death scary. Because if I die in my skin, I, in my sin, I got to go and, and talk to God about that. I got to face my maker. But Jesus Christ is the incarnate son of God who came and lived the life that none of us could live, who died the death that every one of us deserved to die so that we could have life with him, so that death becomes an entrance into life. Death becomes a gateway into fullness of joy. If I just trust him, I just trust him. And when you do trust him, what comes out of your mouth is, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's truth for everyone who is in Christ. So one face of God's salvation is that God delivers us from our fears. He delivers us from our troubles. But another one, and this is probably the one that, that I think speaks the most to me when I read through this psalm, is that God is near to the brokenhearted. Look at me at verse 18. We're not going to get through all the facets of God's salvation. I'll tell you that right now. We're going to get through a few of them. But one of them I really want to get to is this one. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of you walked in here this morning and life has taken it out of you. I don't know what the it is, but it's something. Some of you walked in here this morning and your strength feels like it's gone. Some of you walked in here this morning and your expectations feel like they're shattered. You're brokenhearted. Some of you walked in here this morning and you are crushed in spirit. You feel like your hope has been deferred. Proverbs talks about hope deferred. It says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so often, especially in the last two years, there's a lot of people who have been brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. But what this psalm reminds us of is the reality that the God who breathed the stars, the God who knows exactly how many hairs are on your head, the God who knows your name, knows your background, doesn't make a mistake, the God who knows exactly how many constellations are in the entire cosmos, he is right here right now. He is beyond what we can imagine, and he is closer than a brother. He is fully present everywhere in the universe. 
And that includes next to you. He is near to the brokenhearted. So if you're feeling the pain of life this morning, what I think God wants to remind you of is he is very close to you. He is right at hand. He knows your sorrows more intimately than you can possibly imagine. And if everything we just said about him delivering you from your troubles is true, which it is, then he will see you through even this pain. We need to remind each other of that truth. Because some days you might walk in here brokenhearted and some days you might walk in here having been delivered. And we need the delivered people to coach, listen to, and encourage our brokenhearted brothers and sisters. Because being brokenhearted is part of life. It doesn't mean you're far from God. In fact, it means that you are very near to him. He has you on his mind. Come back to this verse. Store it up. Put it down deep. Meditate on it. And look in the face of Jesus Christ and see it true. God comes near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed. Can you hear me? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So God delivers us from our fears and our troubles. He is near to the brokenhearted. Not only that, though, God delivers his people from shame and condemnation, and he doesn't let affliction have the last word. Look at verse 5 with me. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Skip down to verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, I want you to notice a couple words that are repeated here. One of them is affliction. Notice what it says about affliction. It says that the righteous, those who trust in Jesus, those who trust in God, those who trust in the God of covenant love. Many are their afflictions. That seems kind of. Not what we expect. If you came to Christ and somebody told you life's about to get real easy, they lied to you. You can read through the whole Bible and see Moses and Joseph and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jesus and Paul and Stephen. You can see many are the afflictions of the righteous. But here's the difference. For those who are in Christ, the Lord delivers him out of those afflictions. Our afflictions become a testimony of God's faithfulness. But look what happens to those who don't trust in God. Look at verse 21. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The same afflictions that show the faithfulness of God to those who trust in him will ultimately destroy those who don't trust in him. And this word affliction in Hebrew comes from the same word as wickedness. So what it actually says is that wickedness will slay the wicked. They walk into their own demise. This gives us reason to hope in Jesus. Listen, the Bible doesn't play about sin. 
It doesn't play about wickedness. In fact, if you look at, if you look at verse 16, it says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. God will not tarry with sin very long. If he's tarrying now, it's only because he is very patient. So come to him and repent if you're walking in wickedness. If you're walking outside of the love of God, walking outside of the love of people, he says, repent of that, man. Come back because affliction will slay you. It will destroy your life. But if you trust in God, he will deliver you. Look at two other words. Condemned in verse 21 and condemned in verse 22. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, condemnation is the opposite of justification. Condemnation means you are declared guilty. Justification means you are declared righteous. And what he's saying, what the Bible here is saying is that those who hate the righteous, those who walk in wickedness, will be declared guilty. Now, this is... Good news, even though it doesn't always feel like good news. For someone who has walked through pain and oppression and abuse, to hear God say, those who hate the righteous will be declared guilty, is their vindication. And God has promised he will vindicate the righteous. If you are walking in, in, through injustice, suffering oppression, what God is saying here is that he sees you and you will be vindicated. Wickedness will not get the last word. Affliction will not get the last word. Evil will not get the last word. But the problem is, is that the Bible says that none of us are righteous. Not one of us. This might feel like bad news. What we hope in, though, is what we see in verse 22, which says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. I want to talk about this for a second. Notice that in verse 22, we have a parallelism. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. Those who take refuge in him will not be condemned. Those who take refuge in him are the servants. Are you seeing that parallel? Right. Which means that taking refuge in God isn't just calling out to him when I need help. It is that, but it's more than that. It's actually being a servant of God. Now, a servant is someone who submits to the authority of a master. A servant is one who takes the word of their master and walks in obedience to that word. Now, none of us can do that on our own. If I were to start listing the Ten Commandments and say, have you kept all these? None of us would say yes to all of those. If you, if you do, then we need to work on number nine. <laughs> because we're working on deception. Self-deception and deception to others. But what we find in the gospel is that 
The gospel says is if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Which means that we don't get righteousness by striving to be as righteous as possible. You can't ever be good enough on your own. What the gospel says is, if you turn from your sins, you recognize, yes, I deserve the just condemnation for my sins. And you trust that Jesus is the only one who doesn't deserve condemnation because he is the incarnate son of God. And you let him be your boss, your master, your Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. He makes you righteous. He declares you righteous. He justifies you. You're clothed with his righteousness. So that when, when God looks at you, he sees his son. He sees his daughter. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the gospel. Which means that our hope is God's redemption. Without Christ, all we have to look forward to is shame. Because of our sin. But in Christ, he frees us from that shame because of our redemption. Redemption is a powerful word, friends. We don't have time to go into all the depths of it. But redemption in the Old Testament, it, it talks about, about an older brother going to buy back a family member who's been caught up in their struggle. And Jesus is our older brother who has come and paid all the debt that we owe. So we have no more debt remaining. Nothing that we owe to anyone when we're in Christ. So God delivers his people from shame and condemnation. He doesn't let affliction have the last word. So I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And one final point about God's salvation we want to make has to do with the fear of the Lord. That God's salvation means we walk in the fear of the Lord. And when we walk in the fear of the Lord, we have his abundance. Look with me, verses 8 through 10 and verses 11 through 14. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you have saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I want to stop there for a second and look at this. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have tasted and seen that God is good? We could just start enumerating God's good gifts. We started earlier with just giving reasons for God's salvation. But think about God's good gifts. Man, the cinnamon rolls from Sunrise Bakery, Sunshine Bakery. Man, I tell you what. You can't play with that. <laughs> the sunshine in the morning on a beautiful day. The goodness of a sunshine with those Oklahoma clouds. The beauty of friendship. Being able to play a really difficult board game with somebody and still be friends afterward. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He's given us Good art. He's given us good music. He's given us good relationships. Can't smile it, man, I tell you. Taste it and see that God is good. Happy, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Listen, coming to God, serving unto him is not a place for confinement. It's the only place you find freedom. 
Happy is the man, joyful is the man, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How do we know that? Look at this verse 10. I love verse 10, man. The young lions is probably a metaphor that's talking about the, 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 the mighty. But I, I love just the, the, the picture. I love that the, the, the psalmist uses metaphors to help us imagine this. Young lions. Think about young lions. You ever watch National Geographic? Young lions suffer want and hunger. Young lions can get whatever prey they want. Listen, if I'm walking through the bush, walking through the jungle, I ain't come across a lion, I, I'm not staying around. Why? Because the young lion always gets what he wants. But look what it says here. Sometimes they go hungry. Sometimes they don't find what they're looking for. What about those who hope in God? Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. A young lion is one of the most vicious animals on the face of the planet. Yet they don't always get what they want. They might lack a good thing. But those who seek the Lord and keep seeking lack no good thing. God is not depriving you of anything in your life. Even if it feels like it. Whew. 11 through 14, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Here the psalmist is turning to a wisdom turning the psalm into some of a wisdom psalm and saying, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And he says, verse 12, who wants to have long life? Who wants to see many days? Who wants to have a good life? If I ask you that question, every hand in the room would go up. This is everybody. He says, here's what you do. You don't walk in deceit. You walk in the truth. You don't tear down with your words. You build up. You don't do wickedness. You do good. You don't seek to cause trouble. You seek peace and you keep going after it. It says people who walk in the fear of the Lord are people who bring abundance everywhere they go. They bring the welfare of God wherever they go. They bring the peace of God wherever they go. They bring the love of God wherever they go. Those who walk in the fear of God, who take refuge in him, they'll never lack for an abundance of joy, an abundance of peace. Listen, you can be walking through troubles and have peace. You can be walking through the most difficult time of your life and still have joy. You can choose to respond with goodness when wickedness is given to you because you are free in Christ. You can choose to build up with your words even when you're being torn down because your identity isn't found in what they say. It's found in the goodness of God. It says, here's what characterizes those who celebrate the Lord, those who have experienced the salvation of God. It says they walk in righteousness. They speak righteousness. They bring justice. They walk in his peace. Listen, in Christ, we have many things to celebrate. What these verses are calling us to is to walk in wisdom. To walk characterized by the salvation of God by choosing to walk and live a wise life. What evil is God calling you to turn away from? 
What deception is he calling you to bring truth to? What chaos do you notice in your life that is there because God wants you to bring peace to it? Pursue it. Run after it. Keep seeking him. Keep running in the way of God's salvation. Friends, I am really, really excited. Not just about this psalm, but that I get to live this psalm out with you. Look at your neighbor and say, he saved us. See, what this psalm is calling us to is to enumerate the salvation of God. But we don't do that all by ourselves. Verse 3 says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. See, in Christ, I don't just celebrate my salvation. I celebrate Kenny's salvation and Alex's salvation and Clarissa's salvation. And Joel's salvation, which means my joy is abounding, even in the darkest times. Let's walk together into the future, knowing that even if we're facing difficulty, our God is the God who saves. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the many faces of your salvation. I thank you for Jesus who came and lived and died for us to give us hope. Lord, I pray for all those here who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. I pray that this morning they would know that you are near to them. Pray for all those that may be making a choice between walking in wickedness or walking in righteousness. And I pray that you help them, Lord, to know that you have freed them to walk in righteousness. I pray, God, for all those that are suffering and feel like they need to be delivered. Pray they would look back and see and look around and see that you are the God who saves. God, help us to keep seeking you, to keep asking you, to keep calling on you and doing it together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.